On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Hey everybody, it's Jenny here and we are having a discussion today in a second shot sit down um, about addiction and we've this is a topic that we've we've covered from a couple different angles. We've talked about second shots from from you know the perspective of a professional, somebody who who works in the recovery realm. We've talked about people who see it, but what we have not delved into is the relationship between a parent and a child um, prior to addiction, during it and then after. I came across an incredible duo, actually, um, the woman who wrote the book about Natalie. It's called A Daughter's Addiction, A Mother's Love, Finding Their Way Back to Each Other. This is a story that I think, it, you know, it really plays out in so many households. It's a story that we've perhaps heard about before but haven't seen detailed so greatly and so deeply in a book. It's a book I had to start and then pause and start and then pause because it's so rich with emotion um, and, and I think so relatable. So I hope that this story is one that brings you hope on the other end. So if you're somebody who is kind of in the throes of it right now, um, or somebody who has a little one and you're just nervous about what the future might hold, this is this is most certainly a story for you. So I would like to bring in our guest today, Christine Naiman and her daughter, Natalie Naiman, authors of About Natalie. Good to see you ladies. Thank you so much for agreeing to just kind of dive deep with us on this. Nice to see you. Thanks for having us. Okay. Well, let's talk about, about childhood. What, what were things like for Natalie, as as a little girl, what was she like as a toddler? Oh, um, she was amazing. Um, she's still amazing, but she was amazing. She was uh, bright and energetic and uh, quirky and fun. Um, everything um, you would want a child to be. She was uh, a joy from from the start. And I know you say she was a joy and continues to be a joy. When? When in her life do you think that things changed or, or, or took a turn or maybe you felt as a mom, gosh, I'm, I'm kind of losing her. I, I don't know where my, where my girl is. Well, um, you know, I think it happened gradually. Um, you know, um, I, I think that I started to suspect things when Natalie was about 13 or 14 that maybe things weren't going quite in the right direction. But um, uh, I, I should not have, but I chalked a lot of it up to growing up and getting ready to be a teenager and, and things like that. And, um, I don't think that I should have been satisfied, um, telling myself that kind of thing. And, um, it wasn't until, um, really, unfortunately she was in the throes of real addiction and, um, I was made aware of that, that, um, we, uh, you know, that I really faced, faced things. Mm-hmm. Natalie, I want to hear it from your perspective. Same questions. What was your childhood like? Do you have a, do you have a first memory? Um, 
I think the first memory I have, I remember having a bad dream in um, our old townhouse because my older brother said like that little saying, sleep tight, uh, don't let the bed bugs bite. So I had a nightmare about bugs and I think that's the first thing I remember. Oh my gosh! And do you look do you look back on your your childhood like those those kind of like toddler you know early grade school years positively or were those a challenge for you as well? What what's you know sort of how do you reminisce on those years? It was it was mostly positive. I had some issues sometimes with some bullying and some making friends, but uh, for the most part, it was it was pretty all right. When did the the bullying and the the friendship challenges start, Natalie? They started. They started pretty young, maybe like first grade. I remember like being hurt because someone told me they didn't want to be my friend, and uh, that kind of people want, who wanted to be their friend didn't want to be my friend, just in case that changed things. And you know, as kids get older, it tends to get a little bit like more worse than that. Mm-hmm, hmm So your mom noticed, you know, like, hey, something's not quite right in those early teen years. W- what do you think? When did things change for you? Just around then, like around 12 and 13 is when I started to experiment. I started with pills and I knew a little bit about drugs, but I didn't know anything about withdrawal. So after about maybe six months of doing things like Vicodin, I decided that I wanted to try and stop. And I, it took me a little bit and a little research to realize why I was so sick during that time. And it was just because my body got, you know, addicted to it. How, how old were you and how'd you, how'd you learn that that would be something for you to take and how'd you get it? Um, so a few years before that, my uh, grandfather died of cancer and I, would, I was at his house looking at some of his things one time and I came across some pills that were left over and some that he didn't take. And so I got curious and I began taking them and you would just take them and then just kept going. And then and then did you run out? Or then, then were you in that mode where you're like, okay, I've got to get creative, I've got to find more, what's next? Yeah, like at first uh, it wasn't, you know, some of them, like some of the sleeping pills, like I didn't have to worry about that. But like I said, whenever I stopped taking the Vicodin and I realized that I was physically dependent, um, I was able to stay away from it for a while, but then I went back and at that point there wasn't much left. So at that point I started asking around and that just introduced more people into it. And and what age was that when you kind of started getting into this crowd? I'm guessing it's a, a crowd of people who are, who are using, possibly abusing because those are the people that you're able to access. Yeah, it was probably about 14 around then because uh that was and while i was with those people uh pills were actually very hard for us to find and so they were like well i can get heroin it's basically close to the same and it's cheaper and easier to find so that kind of was the introduction to that at that age 
And Christine, what, so, so you knew something was wrong. So I'm hearing your stories are aligning. You were right. It was her early teen years when this was starting to happen. You were, you were kind of like suspicious something's wrong, but maybe it's just normal teens. When did you realize, oh my gosh, my child has a problem and we need to get help? Well, um, I got a call from the school one day when Natalie was 15 years old. And um, I was blindsided because, I mean, I had never been called to the school office for anything before. And um, they called one morning and they said uh, she's in trouble and she's in significant trouble. And I knew that um, they didn't say that lightly. So um, when I when I got there, um, they showed me um, what she had been caught with and it was heroin. And um, that, you know, obviously um, knocked me flat on my back. And um, I realized that, um, that I realized obviously that we, you know, we had not only a problem, but we had a really, really big problem. Where did it go from there? Well, I mean, I'd love to say that, you know, I was the mom and I just took charge of things and, you know, fixed this and we went, you know, full on like we probably should have, but um, there was denial, there was downplaying, there was, you know, the, the, the stigma um, shouldn't enter into it, but the stigma surrounding um, drug abuse and addicts and their families is just so, so huge. Mm -hmm. And um, I, like everybody else, you know, just what I had heard how people talked about how people with um, addicts and their families or were the parents of addicts, um, you know, I heard what they said and I just, I, I went into kind of defensive mode, denial mode, I'm gonna fix this, but I'm gonna fix this very quietly mode and we don't need other people, we can do this quietly inside of our own home. So unfortunately there was a period of that which um, led to, to nowhere and led to only um, Natalie getting deeper in into things. Um, so. Um, it wasn't until a little bit later when things got worse that I finally um, just just did what I needed to do as a mom and we did what we needed to do as a family and, and Natalie, thank goodness, you know, began her journey back to doing what she needed to do and um, uh, that's when things really kind of turned around for us. Can you describe what the family home was like during those years when you were trying, and I, and I hear what you're saying, right? You figure, okay, we got it noted. I see that we have a problem. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm her mother. Um, right. You know, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I totally hear what you're saying. What was it like in the home during that time? I'd love to hear from, you know, from both of you, from both, you know, Natalie's experience on like, this is my home life at that time. And, and then from you, Christine, trying to manage that. Well, I mean, it was, I mean, I can't say it was, you know, um, happy because right. it wasn't, it was, it was, it was hard. It was terrible. It was, I mean, we did what, you know, um, I can, what I think, you know, families do, you, you scream, you yell, you beg, you plead, you cry, you bargain, you bribe, and you know, uh, you just go a thousand different directions and half of them are wrong. And you know, sometimes you make a bigger mess. I mean, I can't say that we had the happiest home at that point because I'd be lying if I did. I mean, um, we were uh, trying to dig out from a, you know, a huge hole. And um, like I said, we made a lot of, um, 
not so much wrong turns, but you know, I think that the the path back is not straight. Mm -hmm. um, and it took us a lot of trial and error and a lot of different support people, um, you know, first acknowledging that we needed those support people and then going after and, and finding the, the right care for Natalie and frankly, the right care for all of us because it's true what they say about addiction being a family disease. I mean, I could not agree with that statement more. So Natalie, I wanna hear from you. You're 15 years old, you're caught at school with heroin. Um, how did life continue? Did you figure, okay, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm caught, now I'm gonna stop, or I'm gonna try to stop, or did you rebel more? What was that like? So it was it was definitely very, very complex. Like up until that point, I like recall my dad, he would sometimes say that, uh, you know, people who quit smoking, it's like the hardest thing they ever have to do. And just knowing I was well beyond that point, it, like I just, I didn't want to disappoint him in that way and bring it up. But then after that, it was just, it was kind of on the table. And I, I at first, you know, was trying to do better and I did, it was a lot of doing better for a little bit and then really not doing well and then doing better for like a little bit and really not doing well and after that unfortunately just everybody found out like just everyone found out so a lot of you know the quote-unquote good quit kids were not allowed to like hang out with me they'd be like oh don't tell my mom and some of the quote-unquote maybe like not the best kids would I don't know, they started um, coming up to me and saying like, oh, uh, I'm in that realm and stuff like that. But things definitely became pretty stressful around here. It's hard for that not to cause a bunch of stress, but it was, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult. It took me a very long time to try and, try and figure it all out. When did you guys decide, okay, we need outside help where this is unmanageable on our own? Well, I mean, we did several stints with um, outpatient rehab. And then um, finally, when things got, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe sort of the rock bottom, Natalie um, agreed to go to inpatient rehab. Um, unfortunately, she did, um, she did overdose twice at home. Um, and you know, if anything makes it abundantly clear that you're not dealing effectively with it, that's um, finding your child unresponsive definitely um, hammers that point home. So um, we um, were able to decide together that obviously, you know, we were not doing this and we needed to go to, um, we needed to take extreme action. And um, Natalie agreed to go to um, inpatient rehab and, um, I mean, she can speak on that as, as far as, you know, the success of that. But I, I, I believe it was part of the, it was maybe the first stepping stone to um, many of the steps to, to getting her well. Natalie, she said you agreed to go to rehab. Were, were you at a point where you're like, oh my gosh, I, I need to, or what, like, what was your frame of mind during that point because so many people have tried to get their children to do that and, and have been unsuccessful. Yeah, just for a very long time, I 
didn't agree to go. Um, after the incident that happened at school, there were two stints of mandatory um, outpatient child rehab. And up until that point, uh, the outpatients weren't really my idea. Sometimes, you know, they were like that, they were mandatory, or I was just honestly sometimes trying to just make them happy. But it it got to the point where it's it's scary. It's scary going off somewhere. I kept thinking like, oh, if I just had things aligned the right way, then maybe I could just do this at home and I wouldn't have to go anywhere and all that stuff. But sometimes you have to get out of your the environment that's making you sick to get better. And sometimes that involves going somewhere. And there's no one right, you know, way to get clean. I think it's just trying anything and everything and just trying to do it over and over and over until hopefully one time it's it sticks and interestingly enough like the times when I overdosed it was after periods of me doing well because that's when most people actually overdose when they leave rehab or after they've been clean for a while because they don't have the same tolerance they used to and sometimes like what's you know the substances change a bit and their strengths and stuff like that. Christine, you talked so much about being wanting to be private in the beginning when this first happened, okay. right? And now you've written right. a book about it, you're sharing the story. What's <laughs> the motivation behind sharing what your family went through? Well, the motivation um, for writing the book, um, I, I, I felt all of that intense isolation and that shame and that embarrassment, and I felt so alone. And um, I... I thought, you know, I'm not alone. I can't be alone because there's just so many people. I mean, it's a, it's an epidemic. It's everywhere. Um, families are suffering. Moms are suffering. Dads are suffering. Um, loved ones of all sorts are suffering. And I thought, you know, I mean, you can't always, um, you know, you, you can't pick your path. And I considered us an average family. And I, I realized, I mean, I, I, I had to think that I never judged, you know, others. But I mean, at first, before this happened to us, did I believe that this was going to happen or to us? Or did I think it happened to average, average families or average girls or middle class or, you know, whatever? I know it happens to other people and there's other reasons and all of that. And I just thought my motivation was, I thought, you know, let me let people get to know us. I wanted them to get to know us as a family. Um, I want them. I wanted people to get to know Natalie, um, to know the brave, amazing, beautiful girl that she is. I wanted people to know that it happens to average families. It happens to good kids, wonderful kids, kids that are loved and valued. And I thought, well, if they get to know us, maybe they won't feel quite so alone when unfortunately they're going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think there's anything that, I, I, when I ask a question like this, it makes it seem like I'm placing some kind of blames and I hope you understand that I'm most certainly not. And I'm feeling sure, you when you say sure. like, this can really happen to anybody. Looking back, is there anything you would have done differently or, or positioned yourself differently or, or anything like that just to oh, help gosh. other families? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I would have, I would have done um, so many things differently. 
Um, a simple thing is um, education. I was not educated. And I think it was my responsibility and I failed. It was my responsibility to educate myself as a mom. I needed to know the signs. I needed to know the symptoms. I needed to know what I was looking for, what I was smelling, what was missing, what was, I needed to be more in tune to all of that. And I was not, and I'm embarrassed to say that I wasn't, um, but I think that um, I could have been on it a lot more. I think, again, I was wrong. I, um, I mean, I felt the shame and I felt the embarrassment, but did I, I mean, I felt that for myself and I needed to kind of get over myself a little bit and um, I needed to, I, I don't think I focused only on myself or long on myself, but I needed to say, you know what, I don't, I don't care what people are thinking. I, I need to take care of, you know, my daughter, my family. I could have done that a little sooner. I needed to not work on damage control. I needed to face things. So, um, yeah, there's there's plenty, plenty that I could have um, done different. That's for super sure. honest, Christine. It's super honest. And Natalie, for you, what makes you motivated to be so open about your life story in this way? Um, basically, exactly what she said, just, I don't mind talking about it if it makes even just one person or one family feel less alone, and the biggest part of the stigma, and most stigmas, is just the lack of education and the lack of knowledge that the first thing that this, um, when the incident happened at school, I was sitting there with the principals and they were talking about how I was lived in a nice neighborhood. My parents seemed very nice and all that and just basically like, so what's the what's the reasoning here? And, you know, like a lot of people go with like, you know, are you you know, are you just bored? And maybe boredom might start things, but no one does heroin to that extent because they're bored and at that point I just didn't know what to say and then this drug detective walked in and he heard them speaking and he told them drugs don't discriminate they don't look at a nice neighborhood or a nice family and say oh we're not gonna we're not gonna go there and that's just part of people just not being educated that this it happens to anybody. It's just, it's just non-discriminatory. Natalie, how old are you now, and how long have you been sober? I am 24, and I've been sober for a bit over two years. I'm not sure how quite long. What is life like now? This oh, is the second shot. This is, you know, kind of the the, the hope and the inspiration I like people to hear. It, it's a lot different. I'm not going to say it's not stressful because it is. You get your emotions back, as they say, and it's kind of hard to deal with. But the longer you go, like, you know, you learn how to be a human again. You know how to, you learn how to take care of yourself better to, you know, not ignore, you know, your health or your well-being and just it. A lot of times, if you're using, that's the only thing you can do, that's the only thing you're good at, and stopping is, 
it's just it gives you a chance to be able to be good at other things and just not have to worry every second of every day it's a full-time job trying to figure things out like in that world so it's just it's and it's 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 hard to explain it's more stressful but less stressful it's 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 complicated but it's good it's it's better christine do you worry about her falling back into addiction oh i'd be lying if i said i didn't i I definitely worry i definitely worry um but um you know life is life is, is is good now we we count our blessings um Part of the the reason for the book was, you know, we feel too blessed not to give back. Um, but are we cautious? Absolutely. Do we, you know, or, or do certain things make us downright scared? Um, but um, they certainly do. But I think that we um, we realize that we we have uh, a, another chance. We had a second chance where uh, so many people don't. And um, we're just determined to, to do something, put some good out there and, and, and do, um, do something with our second chance. Natalie, what does that look like? We talk a lot about, people talk a lot, there's a lot of information about, out there about how to find help, how to find rehab, how to get sober. There is not as much information about, there, about how to stay that way and how to maintain that. What is your maintenance, if, if anything? What do you do to stay clean from here on out? Um, I feel like the biggest thing I probably do is I take it a day at a time. And I know that might sound cheesy or too simplified, but it's like, if I get in a position where I don't feel as stable or strong in my sobriety, I just tell myself, I'm not going to use today i'm not going to pick up today you know i can reassess how i feel tomorrow and then if you just are able to do that every day it just it just adds on and i think a big part of it for me is staying on top of my mental health because that's a big thing that usually drags me back and what does that look like is it a 12-step program is it a meeting with a counselor is it meditation like in a practical sense day to day what does that look like um, I have, I do have um, a counselor and a psychiatrist, but I feel like the biggest thing would probably just be not waiting until I'm at my breaking point to try and deal with something. And something that ended up messing me up in the past during my sobriety is trying to just please others too much and pushing myself too far too soon because you know a lot of times when you get clean people are like oh okay like you're fixed like Mm. you know like you should be able to do xyz but it it takes time because after in my case like a decade of doing the same thing and you know a lot of time in people's teens that's when they learn how to manage their emotions and manage themselves and I'm I'm trying to do that like just a little too late, but uh, it'll, I'm 
I'm not doing too the best. late. Not too late. That was, a, that was the wrong way. No, I like that you protect that space, though. It's and then you're so right about that point. Okay, now they're fine, and now they can be exposed to different things or see people using and not impact them. It's, it's such a good point. One part in your, your book that I had had bookmarked that just it was like one of those parts where I was like, I can't read anymore. This is this is so intense. I need to take a bit from this book because it, you know, the, the text is so intense. When you wrote, my girl was not my girl anymore. I didn't recognize her. Um, did you think you would ever get her back? Oh, time, there were times when I doubted it. There, uh, there were times when I doubted it, but I just, um, I was just determined to fight with my, my last ounce of strength and courage. And, um, I was determined that we were going to stick together through this. And I was determined that, um, no matter the outcome, um, Natalie would never have a memory of her mother walking away from her. And uh, and that's what uh, kept me fighting. Christine, how would you characterize your um, relationship with you and your daughter right now? Oh gosh, um, she's my best friend. She's, she's, you know, she's not only my daughter, but she's my best friend. I don't know what I would do without her. And um, no, we're, uh, we're a team and we'll always be that. Mm-hmm. That's be it's a beautiful message. What um, I would love to hear some final words, Christine, just for any parents who are going through a similar situation. What can you say to them, like mom to mom or mom to dad? Oh, um, I know that it's um, it's just a just a um, I know what you're going through is so painful and so horrific and so. Um, so so isolating it's it's more painful than probably you know anything else because you know we talk about things as far as you know when people are sick or whatever you know it, there's there's certain illnesses that people rally around and you know you people don't exactly run over with a casserole um when you're uh, you know when your child's an addict um and sometimes that's very painful and very lonely but um uh, I would just say that recovery is possible. They they do recover and um, they can start again. And it, it does happen. There's lots of help out there. Just keep trying, find what right what's right for you and your your loved one, and um, they do recover. Well, the book is brave and it's it's captivating. It's very courageous of both of you to be here with us today and to just share your story in the book. So. I wish you both the absolute best. Natalie and Christine, thank you so much for, for sharing and, and just for, for going deep with us. And my eyes are tearing up, so I have to wrap it up. Um, but, but sincerely, thank you again so much for the time. Thank Thanks you. for having us. So you guys, the book is called About Natalie, A Daughter's Addiction, A Mother's Love, Finding Their Way Back to Each Other. Like I said, captivating, deep, emotional. Um, I hope that you were able to get a sense of that second shot and and how it can just, not, not, not just about addiction recovery, but about finding relationships again and reconnecting with people. I just think it's such a special part of this story. So remember these air Thursdays on CW33 TV in Dallas. And if you want to rate or review the show, it's out on all podcast platforms as we speak. And we'll talk to you soon.